everybody. Welcome to another episode of It Depends. Uh, today we're talking continuous delivery here at the Clear Function headquarters. That's at Clear Function on Twitter. Hashtag It Depends. I'm uh, Daniel Pritchett here with Jesse Brown. Hello again. And Ben Robin. Hello and welcome. You sound a little under the weather, Daniel. Yes, yes. I've only maybe had too many Diet Dr. Peppers today, but I'm going to make it through. Nice. Also taking some uh, DayQuil. So yeah, continuous delivery. We're going to talk about what it is, why would you do it, and uh, challenges you might have in doing it or not doing it or whatever. So so, so give us a good working definition, Jesse. Oh man, put me on the spot. Yes, uh, continuous delivery is where you continuously deliver your code to production. That is the five word explanation. You but can't use the word in the definition. <laughs> yes, it's Elementary true. school. Yeah. So the idea is that every um, every meaningful change that you make to your code should be automatically deployed to production. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's the that's one of the philosophies behind continuous delivery. Um, and that's just you know, the barrier to deploying should be sufficiently low. Mm-hmm. Good working definition. Um, yeah, in a manufacturing context, it might be every time you make a widget, you want it to get on a truck and out of the state as quickly as possible. You don't want to be piling up next to your machine or in the warehouse next door. Right. And I feel like one of the benefits for sure is the immediate feedback loop. So you, you want to have a feedback loop mm-hmm. and you want it to be sufficiently small so that when something is wrong, you quote unquote fail fast, you know, yep. you, you know about it and you fix it as yeah. quick as possible. The yeah. longer you spend in flight, the farther you could go in the wrong direction. That's right. Somebody yeah. brings you back on track. I think yep. kind of what brought this up, um, at least back when it kind of started gaining momentum was the fact that if you don't do something often, you become really bad at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you only deploy once every six months, you know, your gigantic app and you have to deploy it to a hundred servers every six months, yeah. uh, turns out that's terrifying then and people are really bad wizard. at it. Yeah. And like, you've got to have this one guy in the company who is, who is a deployment wizard. Uh, yeah. I know I'm turning your definition around, but like, that's pretty much what it, you would have like release managers whose sole job was to merge a thousand branches into a release branch. And then they would, effectively create a bunch of scripts or like use existing scripts or just hand drop out all these like assemblies and you know whatever on these hundred servers and like basically blue green each one of them um in some way and uh yeah people turned out that and and then if that guy's gone you just don't know how to do it anymore which was all in his head yeah and even if you documented it it's like a a word doc somewhere (laughs) that's like uh hasn't been updated by said wizard in like six months and so the next guy who unfortunately has to pick up that, that job ruins everything in production. Yeah. And, uh, we, so, yeah, we obviously don't have that environment here, but I've experienced it. Have yep. you guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had a team with 50 servers, and we had a couple of people dragging and dropping files over Windows file shares to each one. Oh, wow. We were trying to make them all be basically identical, and it wasn't. Oh, my goodness. Yep. That sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. yeah, and so people who are way smarter than I am came up with like, we should be doing this more often so yes. that we become good at it. Yes. And so they're like, you know how often we should do it? <laughs> every commit. You yes. know, because yes. at one point it was basically just like, you should be deploying every day. And then slowly that definition kind of turned into like, you should be deploying as fast as possible. And yes. I know like places like Heroku and GitHub and stuff like that, they usually use bots and stuff to kind of like control this this flow so that like right. if Ben commits a feature and I commit a feature, they kind of wait in line with each other and stuff like that. Or maybe they go together if it's been like a, a nice wait period or whatever between the commits. Yeah. Um, but then like they're deploying, you know, hundreds of times a day. Um, sometimes, you know, in between 15 and a hundred times a day is not unreasonable. I think one very related, but different, uh, thing that we should probably mention is, is continuous integration. Yes. That, that one thing that makes deployment 
often much easier is that you run your test suite or you, you know, whatever it is uh, to, to verify some level of code quality that I didn't break the thing yes. that was already out there. Yeah, those are the, the two requirements for continuous delivery. One, well, technically the only requirement is that you can automate delivery so right. that a script can yeah. do it for you. Right. You could have a shell the, script that FTPs everything over from your box to 50 servers and at yeah. least you've hit, at least you've solved one problem, right? Yeah. It's not technically required, but pretty common you also want to have something verify that it's not broken before you automatically deploy it. yes and you have to have something to, and part of that is a build server generally yeah. right like you've got code that actually compiles then you're going to want to run the compiler to make sure um, that you can compile because if it's something right. you know uh, obviously in most languages if, if they're compiling they're outputting an assembly deploying nothing is not possible so <laughs> it's so usually that's your first step is going to hit compiling but uh but past that your point test uh, whether right. that's like smoke test running like a selenium or headless chrome to be like can i still log in yeah. is this button still here does the core of my app still work um i've been in a place before where they have um like the they have multiple sets of uh continuous integration test suites right. uh, where one is like the unit test which run you know in a minute or something 30 seconds to a minute to run thousands of tests and then they have the browser test which they would have in like two stages they would have like the crucial path which would take like maybe 10 minutes to run through yeah. But then they would have the nightly ones that ran a full regression suite of pretty much every function they had in the system, and those would take like six to eight hours right. to run. And uh, and so yeah, uh, and so they would obviously deploy kind of after the first stage to just you know make sure you can still log in and do their core business operation that matters the most. Yeah. Um, but then at night they would still run the full suite so that you could immediately figure out that oh you know what even though it I didn't break everything I did break something. That's really cool. Uh, I like that the way that you kind of split the the problem there it's like we can get it 90 percent sure it's good and get it out the door and we'll find out we'll get it out the door in 15 minutes but also we'll know by tomorrow if we missed any kind of nitty, right. nitpicky thing in the corner we wouldn't have noticed exactly and a lot of those tests were like is this visible on the page yeah you know um maybe some javascript was broken or something a button got named differently yeah. so the integration just test fails because of that you know something like that and yeah. for an obscure feature like that you probably would never find out until a user found it three months later like, exactly this thing used to work you're like what happened and you check the get blame and yeah yeah, yeah. I haven't been at too many places that have just like dozens of developers who whose sole job is to basically write Selenium scripts. Right. Um, but this was the at least one place where they did that, and cool. uh, it was it was interesting. Um, very brutal test. Uh, you get you get people who are really good at them, and people who are really bad at writing yeah. them. Um, but yeah, they're still very valuable when they work. The brittle tests are hard. I know Ben and I were <laughs> discussing that earlier this week. We had mm -hmm. some test fixtures versus test factories, mm -hmm. and I think I tried to push them to use a factory on one thing, and the, my point was that. Every time the the factory the fixtures change, your test is going to break, and you don't want to have to go back there. And I've oh yeah, been on both sides of different apps. Oh mm -hmm. yeah, same here. Never a good feeling. Not to say that factories aren't useful, it's just that if you overuse them in the wrong places, you wind up getting stuck. Or maybe it's just a a trade off you didn't realize you were making. Like it's really easy right now, but it's really hard two years from now. Right. Oh well, continuous delivery. So what what uh what tools do you use to deliver continuously, Daniel? Completely depends on your deployment target. Uh, one of the reasons I love Heroku so much is because it's usually a one-command deploy from my mm -hmm. machine to staging or from staging to production. Uh, Heroku's been working a lot the last few years on setting up a whole build-and-deploy pipeline where they have on-site, or they have their own in-house uh, build server, and it can go from, say, a git push to master past the, build, past the integration test. It's green, and now it's deployed in staging. And... Mm -hmm. I had an app 
five years ago in that sort of scenario. And then once we got it to staging, we'd look at it manually. And if we liked it, I'd push one more button on the Heroku dashboard and take it to production. Um, yep. Other sites, it's uh, like an FTP, R-Sync kind of thing. Just push it with a single script. Um, yep. Yeah, in .NET world, there's like web deploy. It's pretty right. common. It's kind of just a... It's almost like a wrapper on yeah. uh, on FTP. It has some smartness to kind of connect to to IS and let give it time to drain out the yeah. users and stuff like that from the pool and stuff. But uh, but yeah, use those things. And I guess AWS. Some people, like you said, just FTP their stuff over there, or yeah. uh, or they deploy a whole new image. Right. That's yeah. sort of the new. People thing. do that with like Packer. Like say mm-hmm. you build the latest and then you use Packer to create a new AMI image and then you upload that to Amazon. And then you go to whatever orchestration tool you're using. Maybe it's Chef or Kubernetes or whatever. Or and just say, AWS CLI or yeah, something like that. Just say, give me new instances with this version of the AMI instead of that one. Yep, and then they'll just spin down and up. Uh, what's the, I always forget the name of the Elastic AWS Beanstalk. thing. Elastic Beanstalk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Beanstalk, that's a common one that people use. So then it'll just do the blue-green deployments by kind of slowly rolling your instances up to the new version. Um, so that means you're running a hybrid environment where half of them are yesterday's yeah. version and half of them are the brand new version. It slowly... Migrates mm-hmm. over. There, yeah, there's yeah. Or so you, I think you can configure it. Some people will run it where like they'll upgrade upgrade one, and mm-hmm. then all the traffic will essentially go to that one and start draining out of the other one. So depending cool. on your situation, there's a lot of tools to to make that happen differently. Yeah. Since, since we mentioned continuous integration, the, that part of this, the CI part as well, it might be worth you know yeah. rattling off some oh, tools yeah. that we yeah, use we there. We've used Jenkins before. It tends to do right. both. Like it's far as I can tell, the core is that you detect a new version of your code has showed up. What do you want to do about it? Usually you want to test it. Sometimes yeah. you also want to deploy it, and those are separate configurations. Yeah, it's interesting because it kind of started out, I guess, when I first started where you pretty much only had, like, Jenkins and TeamCity and, like, CruiseControl.net, I think, was the one that I used back right. when I first started, which were oh, – yeah. these were just runners that basically would build stuff. <laughs> and uh, But then people turned them into, like, another task that would, you know, kick off an MS deploy or an FTP yeah. copy. But then now they've kind of – the, the industry has changed where they, they've kind of turned pipelines into a proper thing, right? Yeah. Where now the build server is one thing, and usually build servers, they'll come with a pipeline to then get it out to production. But yep. it used to just be kind of a task in your like yeah. continuous integration, but now kind of it's its own thing. Um, and I guess that's just to kind of help uh, differentiate between kind of, you know, you want to build all the time, but you don't necessarily want to deploy all the yeah. time because um, obviously you've got different branches where people are working on their code and... Uh, and you don't want to deploy yeah. all that all the time. Yeah, we've used Jenkins on the .NET side. We've also used AppVayor on the .NET side. And then um, yep, things Team like CodeShip, CodeShip on the Ruby side as well. Yeah, I know GitLab CI gets a lot of love. Um, yep. I haven't used it myself yet, um, but uh, I know they recently announced some stuff. Uh, integration with GitHub as well, so you don't yeah. have to be a GitLab customer to use GitLab CI now. So that's that'll be something we'll look into at some point. And also, and other cloud vendors like Microsoft, they have their Visual Studio Team Services online, right? And uh, they they give you some free build hours and stuff like that. And uh, we've used that before because it's pretty low barrier to entry on uh, right. on that stuff. And Bamboo is another one that we yep. use quite a bit. We like the Atlassian stack, and uh, they do a pretty good job on their build servers as well. Uh, they're no longer hosted, I don't think. You have to host it yourself. So hmm. um, that, that changes things a little bit. It's funny to me to see all the big vendors have their own special build and deploy stack because the essence of the task is just writing one script to run your tests and one script to run the deploys. So once you go, start going down that road, it eventually becomes commoditized unless you have some other cool integration nobody else has. Like, you can't make a scriptable deploy that I can't do without you. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've got the... Uh, yeah, it's interesting because they also have the... Uh, 
some use like YAML files to kind of generate all your tasks so that you right. can kind of take them from one to the other and people write conversion scripts to convert from like <laughs> app there to something else. And, and, uh, yeah, like you said, they're all pretty, you know, pretty equal these days. Yeah. Um, a lot of them of course have, uh, I guess where the money is for these vendors these days is that they have, uh, different agents that they can yeah, sell you, right? So true. that you can elastically scale between like, you know, the one Linux box you have to one Linux box and like a hundred windows boxes, um, from Azure or AWS to yeah. then build the rest of the things. And so that, that's really important for products that, uh, that work across different, uh, variations of OS, right? So you've yeah. got, you know, you need to build on those platforms potentially to get your binaries for all those platforms. So the interface and the integration are free, but the compute time to do yes, it in yeah. a few different ways all at once. Yeah. And you yeah. see that with like Travis, you can get a fairly, uh, yeah, a lot Travis of the services will give one. you, I think Stuckle CI is one that I like where you get a, a Docker container, it runs one bill, but if you ever need two bills, you got to pay them 30 bucks yeah. a month up from zero. Yeah. The whole agent thing is also uh, common in deployments. So yeah. like another deployment tool that I've used before is like Octopus Deploy and Bamboo. It's a CI tool but it's also a CD tool and they have their own little agent that can run on the boxes as well, like a Linux box or a Windows box. And basically it will listen for those deployment, deployment, uh, you know, commands from the right. server. And you can just basically register a server with that so that you can, uh, so that you can define capabilities. So you can, and that they get in that for like role matching, right? So if you have like web servers and database servers and also like a Redis server, um, then they all different, they have different capabilities and different pieces of your, uh, application get deployed to those servers and so you can kind of you know in, in the ci tool or cd tool you can say hey this server is a windows server and if this environment variable is set then they must have net 4.5 and that means that it's a good target for this project um, so it can get pretty pretty complicated it's funny hearing you talk about all the yaml configuration files it reminds me of working with docker like if you use docker compose you've specified all your various resources as different line items and sections in your YAML file. But if you go to Docker Cloud, suddenly it's a suddenly different file that's describing the exact same thing. And then going to Kubernetes, again, you've got YAML files mm -hmm. describing the same stuff in a different language every time. Speaking of which, continuous delivery is a lot easier to imagine when you're doing dealing with containers or at least images. Like you, mm -hmm. we mentioned Packer images to make a new AMI. If you're just trying to FTP files up to a new service, then uh, it's going to be a little harder to trust that your your canvas you're painting on or whatever the place you're deploying to is actually what you needed, like that you have a solid foundation. Being able to just deploy in units with uh, very clean edges helps a lot. Yep. Yeah, and not to mention, like, you know, we've gone into containers a bit before, but obviously, like, they uh, a big part of them is that it keeps them updated. Like, you know what you're getting, right? Because you right. have an image and you built it. And that's also true for like OS updates because, you know, I don't know how many, un, you know, unpatched Linux boxes that are out there, but yeah. it's a lot. And it's just as many for Windows as well, probably worse. And right. so the, uh, you redeploying every time gives you an opportunity to, you know, version match with like the latest and greatest of the latest stable of a particular distro so that it can, uh, so every time you deploy a feature, you know, you also have the latest and greatest of that distro if that's the way you want to do it right. Some yeah. people do more controlled releases um and that's fine as well but um, just having that as a part of your image so that you can accurately test it and deploy it is is a huge benefit of containers all right let's say i'm uh in the habit of spending six to seven figures a year on uh getting software made why would i care about continuous delivery and is that even a name that opens my pocketbook <laughs> <laughs> that was such a daniel way to put that question <laughs> Yeah, so why would you do continuous delivery, Ben? I think that's what he's getting at. 
Yeah. As a company <laughs> owner. I think so too. Um, we mentioned at least one reason previously. I, I think the big win, the big value add is time to market on new features, like adding value to your application, making it do a thing that it doesn't, that it didn't already do. Mm-hmm. It does this new thing and it does it much faster as opposed to, you know, having to wait around on various click testing and things like that. If I can just deploy it as soon as I'm done coding it. Okay. So shorter feedback loops means less wasted effort. Fewer people going in the wrong direction all the time. Yes. Yeah. I think confidence is another one. Um, Confidence that your application is deployable and and slightly more maintainable, I think. That's a good point. Because if you do have a one-man shop and they're developing everything for you and then that one-man shop gets hired by someone else and then now you don't have him anymore, uh, him or her, then at least you have... Um, your app running and you know that they set up this delivery system so that yeah. someone else can come in and they don't have to immediately be up on exactly how everything deploys. And even if they do, they have it documented in your continuous integration and continuous delivery software yeah. um, instead of it being inside that guy's head in some Wikipedia article mm-hmm. or, or not Wikipedia, that would be bad, uh, but uh, some sort of wiki article. Yeah. Um, we went through just that on a project last year. We took ownership of this product that didn't have the full test and deploy suite in place and first thing I had to do was figure out like reverse engineer what even is on the server oh it's running this old version of Apache this version of PHP so I figured all that out and I get it documented into a local build script for Docker and uh, not Docker for Vagrant and Ansible but eventually that became a Docker file and it became the core of a suite of tests and a deploy script and eventually we handed that off to another company and they were able to just pick it up and run with it because all the important questions about what's here and how does it work. Already answered. Need, yeah. yeah. And they've been answered in a way that was reusable and not just like somebody had a meeting and talked about it. I feel like as much as it is the feedback loop, and that is a big piece, like as soon as my tunnel is blocked by anything to get yeah. my new code to production, I want to know like as soon as possible. Right. But it's also getting that feature to users, like yes. in a way that they can actually use it. Yeah, the feedback loop, not just to the product owner, but to right. the users who are using it. Because even... You know, if a product owner says, build me a button that does X, and you build them a button that does mostly X, then even getting that out there and it may be missing the mark for what, where the product owner yeah. thought, um, it could open up the users who are actually using it to give even more feedback so that you iterate you know, faster for, for those users. It's just like we discussed with the low-fidelity mock-ups episode mm-hmm. recently. Like getting a, a small, essential version of the feature out may be what you need to where the people who are interested can have something to talk and think about and say, oh, this is great. Let's also add these four other related things. It's like the number one and number two rule of application development. Things change, one. Mm -hmm. And two, I don't know what I want until I see it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can make this like a yes and improv conversation instead of a no but, like, I'm glad you did this. This is a great starting point towards this other thing I have a vision for. Yeah. I think another reason is developer happiness. Yeah. Um, That's probably not so intangible to to you as the guy who's just like paying someone to... uh, to code a feature for you, but yeah. you know, the, it kind of goes hand in hand with confidence. Like if I spend, you know, a few hours setting up continuous delivery, at least a minimal version of that, um, then I spend that upfront and then I know that every deployment will at least act the same way every time. And I never do it again. And I never have to think about it yes. every week. Like every week yes. when you want me to deploy a feature, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, yeah. I don't have to think about how am I going to deploy this 
it just gets deployed. You freed yeah. up my brain space. And so, to think yeah, about and other so things. I can continue to develop your features yes, uh, yeah. more frequently. And, and, I, and I can guarantee you, if you don't have it set up and someone's FTPing files over every week, they're spending more time FTPing in a month than it would take them to set up a minimal continuous delivery uh, yeah. solution. It may not, developer happiness may not sound like, uh, you know, like Daniel's way of setting up the, the conversation was what's going to get your your checkbook out. It may not sound like that initially, but when you think about the time spent doing it, like you were just talking about, you know, I, I've got to come in at five o'clock and spend four hours on this deployment with my whole team. Yeah. Like you're taking that variable completely out yep. if yeah. you have a continuous delivery yeah, system. Yeah, and through. everyone can deploy. Like if you only right. had like two people could deploy and you hire six more, like they all have to learn how to deploy where if it's just sort of baked into your product's DNA, so to speak, of like we just deliver features as soon as they're ready, as long as they pass the suite of tests, then like those those other six people can immediately bring value to your product. And, yep. and that's huge. Daniel, you've often said the, the number one metric of a successful product is? Uh, how long it takes new developers to get up to speed and deploy things. Yep, and this is a big part of that puzzle. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, so what are the... Uh, why... This is going to be a hard question because we're we're only developers here, right, and right. so it's going to be hard to answer from the other side of the fence. But why, you know, what are, what what's challenging about continuous delivery from a non-developer perspective? And you, let me let me put it to you guys this way: I feel like the number one thing is we want to make sure we got it right. Yeah, is there control. a more number one thing than that that you guys can think of? I know there are other things that are involved, but is that top on the list? I think processing process and like just can like you said, like uh, the feeling of a. Uh, like I guess control over that yeah. process. I don't know. I don't know if they're necessarily the same thing. Like process versus like what you were saying as far as like the, uh, you know, I already forgot what word. You Correctness. Used. Yeah. Correctness. Yeah. Correctness. Yeah. I mean, I said right. Yeah. But it comes down yeah. to accountability and trust. Like if you, if you com- if you commit to continuous delivery, then you're basically delegating a whole lot of trust and authority to the leaf branches of yep. your or yes. leaf nodes of your organization and. If you don't feel like you can trust them, then you're going to be naturally inclined to have them line up to get your rubber stamp on everything because you know that at least if it goes wrong, you will have gotten a chance to look it over and you will ha- it will at least meet your standards so you can be prepared to deal with that if it goes wrong. Yeah, so, so you put in eight days of work on a feature. Yeah. You get a five-minute review, which and, and for some folks on the team, like that's the only part of this puzzle that they see is a five-minute review. So it might feel like feature development doesn't take very long. But then out of that five minutes, you may have another couple of days worth of rework, right? And we want to cut down on rework as much as possible because it gets the feature to market much faster. Yeah, I think it's a, yeah, it's especially challenging. Like if you have like a, a fleet of uh, like uh, engineers who are new, right? like mm-hmm. interns, like yeah. Yeah. that is a scary proposition, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Like they could easily write RM, RF, slash, and, like, everything's <laughs> gone, right? Like, right. you know, you have to be – there has to be some accountability. Um, and, right. and if you don't – like you said, if you don't trust those developers, then it is a dangerous place to put um, – could be a dangerous place, you know. But you have to have – you've got to have a process in place to, uh, you know, manage that. You I do think, extent. generally speaking, that's the opposite way of thinking about it. Like, I think w- we come at it with, well, I'm not sure I can trust – whoever it is to get this right. Right. When instead it should be the opposite. It should be, I'm going to set high standards and watch them rise to meet them. 
Yeah, that's a good theory. I don't know that I agree with that. Like, if you if your job is to collect data, like right. metrics data, yeah, yeah, in the and, nightmare scenario, it yeah, doesn't work. And I then agree. Someone but... like drops table metrics, and like all your clients don't have data, sure, yeah. like that. <laughs> that you know, you, now you have to go pull out some. Hopefully, your if this is your deployment process, and like someone's able to do that without any sort of like yep. boundaries, what are the what are the chances that your database is backed up in and in a restorable yeah. state so, so that you can recover? Can't that's say a really, I've been really in this. useful thing to talk about because that implies that all of your developers have full rewrite schema changing access to everything that you don't have good backups you don't have good controls i mean but you could do that from a ruby script right like just instead of like deleting like from a from the right parent object they just delete from like an organization that's the perfect thought experiment like let's say i gave an intern deploy and write access to everything what's going to blow up first that's the problem you need to address like it helps you work your way back to like, maybe you really just want your intern to show up and make a copy edit to your marketing site, like make a one line change to a markdown file, get deploy that. Great. But yeah, identifying the things that could go wrong, identify weaknesses you're already ignoring. Your yeah. If you're a one or two developer avoiding. shop though, you know, like it's, yeah, it's, yeah, you may not have those processes where there's sure, sure. And code reviews help a lot. Right. But it's not, yeah, they're not a perfect solution either. So, I mean, there, there are I mean, some challenges there. I mean, neither is CI. CI helps a lot no. too, but it's not a perfect yeah. solution. Yeah. Right. I not, think we're not in the situation we're describing. No, no, no. I no, can't no. say that I've been in that situation very often and never here. Yeah. And so it, it is kind of a nightmare scenario where, you know, if we make some broad, like, general rule, it's not going to apply in every situation. Yeah. yeah. I think having, like, a staging server obviously makes yes. a lot of sense because hopefully the developer, when they're, like, smoke testing staging before it goes to production... Um, you know, and this is where like tools like Heroku and Azure and all those things, they have like a promote to production button. Right. And the reason why it's not generally just auto deployed are situation nightmare scenarios like this, right? Like continuous delivery doesn't mean that it has to immediately go out. Like there still might need to be some smoke tests done by the developer. It's more about not getting in the way of the process. Uh, you know, like I'm going to go to staging and make sure that, Oh, my database is now empty or missing. (laughs) Like this is bad. Like I should stop here and not click promote to production. I mean, Uh, I would say the ideal to work towards would be having it be fully automated and knowing that if that a, nothing will go wrong because you have enough controls and B, if something does go wrong, you have a safe way to roll back. I get, I agree with limited funds or two people or not enough hours or dollars. You're not going to get there, but yeah, it's at least worth. Yeah, it's the, it's an ideal that I'd like to you know strive for in, in most places. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think it's good to point out that what we say here doesn't necessarily work ev- in every yes. context. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- so there's there's going to be people you work for, or that you are that person where you would like you would like to be the one who hits promote to production. Right. Yeah. yeah, and and that's that's okay, right? But I do think that making the the steps from developer to staging. And then that, and then making a one click from staging to production, is a huge step towards um, you know developer happiness and continuous delivery, right? Yeah. And, and a lot of people use bots. You know, we talked about like the promote to production uh, button that we see in like Heroku and other places. Um, but then you've also got the, uh, you've just got bots that people like bring in Slack where you can just be like, hey, deploy to production, and uh, you know, and it can tell you like here's the commits that are going to go out and like stuff like that, and so. Uh, that people are writing can kind of do their IT via chatbots, and so that's right. so that's kind of a manual step that's still in the developer's control. Generally speaking, I don't think you're probably going to have like the CEO responding to uh, your Heroku bot and saying deploy to production, but maybe you will. Yeah. Um, the, the CEO sends the developer a private message, and then the developer tells the bot the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So I feel like somewhat Jesse, you're talking about among the team of developers, 
you know, is there one who's maybe more senior and a few who are more junior who um, are maybe more able to make mistakes that harm the product? Yeah. Uh, and so maybe the senior developer would like to have more control over the, like you mentioned, the promote to production button. Right. I'm wondering, even from the perspective, uh, challenges is what we're talking about to doing continuous delivery. What about outside the dev team? Yeah. So there are other people involved in product development um, and, and on projects than just engineers. Right. Well, um, it can be easy to fall into a situation where everyone but the developers are gatekeeping deployments. And that's something you might want to at least think about. Did we do this on purpose? And what is it getting us? Like, right. Obviously, there's the fear of what goes wrong if anything goes wrong. And, and the second biggest one is probably compliance, right? Like yeah. if you're taking credit cards online, then you've got PCI compliance right. standards, which usually means that you're going to have to have a checklist and documentation of who changed what, when, why. Yeah. And, uh, and then also when I promote it to production, there's like some release that has to go out, yeah. you know, and stuff like that, you know? Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, compliance is a reason that these things also exist for mm -hmm, you to kind of step back mm -hmm. and how, make it a little manual. How much could you streamline a deployment process in a PCI compliant organization? Like, let's say that I was yeah. just, I don't know, let's just say I'm going to give you a million dollars if you can get my stuff deployed <laughs> in five minutes. Yeah. What so, do you do? So yeah. <laughs> five minutes. So compliance things are usually like the, uh, they're more about that you have a documented process that um, ensures, you know, to the best of your knowledge that okay. things are what. And so that said, oh. it's usually things like compensating controls. Okay. So like, it's not that I can't write bad code that scrapes all the credit cards. It's more like <laughs> I can't, I can't write that code and get it production without another person laying eyes on it. Okay. And so as long as that person is also, like as long as that person's authorized to review that type, review that code, then that's usually okay. So a lot of that would just be covered by like a pull request, right? Because yeah. a pull request of having, I wrote this code, Daniel approved it, yep. and then it went to production at this date and time so that they could scope when this change happened yeah. and like, you know, how it affected people or whatever. Okay. Then, that's, then that's usually what most of the compliance things are. Sounds like checks that, and balances and yeah. an audit trail. Yes. It's, in it's, large it's, yeah, it's Yeah. So as long as you have the tooling around it, um, and, and it usually means proving also that I can't deploy it myself. And yeah. so that part of that is like, that means that not all developers could be admin of the GitHub project so that yeah. I couldn't just go around it. Cause it's not that just like, a lot of sense. yeah. So, you know, um, I think we've could, got a good, uh, a good threesome here. If we need checks and balances, we can have Jesse be the executive <laughs> branch. Daniel's obviously judicial and I think I'm legislative. Nice. All right. All right. I think you could automate most of that PCI stuff. Like if you say, the build passed, the server's ready to deploy, but it won't deploy until this other system asserts that someone from user group X with this responsibility hits chat boxes A, B, and C. Yeah. Like those I mean, just, you already get that just with yeah. you know, PRs, test, right? Because right? as yeah. soon as you hit approve and merge, then that is yeah. the approval. And then at that point, it's all, at that point, it's, it's gone, right? Yeah. It's deployed and like there's nothing else left to do. Um, it's yeah. all audited at that point from just the continuous delivery systems. And so, yeah, to your point, it is, it is automatable, but it doesn't mean that things are instant, right? And so yeah. there are there are applications, government and, you know, security-related uh, yeah. things that have to be tightly held that, uh, that are going to be less continuous. But yeah. as long as they're automatable, then I think that's a, that's a great thing. Cool. All right, so we've been talking about the broader category of challenges to continuous delivery. And then kind of in that conversation, we had a few subsets inside the dev team itself, different types of developers. We've also talked a lot about compliance and how that factors into continuous delivery. There's also another category of non-developer on a product team. So things like um, product owners or user acceptance testers or quality assurance testers, those kinds of things who are typically non-developer types. How, are there any unique challenges in that area of this 
continuous delivery topic? Yeah, I think so. I mean, part of it, um, QA is an interesting role. Like if you've got people who are dedicated to testing and assuring that the quality of your software meets a certain threshold, um, you can't go around them, right? Like that's the whole reason you have them. Right. Um, so that, you know, that means that at some point the code has to stop before it gets to customers and that, that works against continuous delivery. That doesn't right. mean that, but they can be a part of the solution. You know, it doesn't mean, continuous delivery doesn't mean it necessarily happens in the next minute, right? <laughs> it just means that it is automated and that that process is repeatable. And so QA being a part of that, um, that part is less automated, but you can have people who code, code the yeah. QA stuff like we were talking about earlier. Or do record, um, click. Do yeah, record, record and click and then replay and then making sure that stuff works. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, that's challenging to, to make sure that that role has, it could change that role. If you've got people who are literally just clicking every day and just kind of looking at it and being like, yeah, that looks good, um, yeah. then like it can really work against continuous delivery because they're not coding it, they're not automating it. Um, which means that you've got a human involved, and if they took the day off, then turns out tomorrow is the earliest you can deploy. Yep. And so, yep. Uh, you know, it's it's a problem. It works against it. It's not necessarily something you can uh, fix or avoid completely. Um, you know, because if you do want a human signing off on it, that's there's nothing wrong with that, depending on what you're doing. Um, but you do want to try to minimize that. Yes. Be deliberate about the the gatekeeping and yes. the, the stop gaps you put in place. Not stop gaps, but. Any yeah. kind of people you put in place, yeah, make sure exactly. it's purposeful and no bigger than necessary. Yeah, every single person who touches the feature before it gets to production slows down the process. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it, but if we have a clear understanding of what this step is accomplishing, what is it that this step does that's unique to it, right. that's going to yeah. help Don't us. make it unique to a person. Make it a unique task right. that has to happen. Sure, unique yeah. to this step. And so, um, you know, just because you have a QA guy and he normally does QA, but if he is off for the next couple of days... Like, you shouldn't just be like, well, I guess we're not deploying until he gets back. <laughs> you should be yeah. like, well, his job is to make sure this feature isn't broken. And so, you know, someone's just going to put on that QA hat and then go make sure that it's not broken. And if that's the case, then you trust that they made that decision and then move on. I think yeah. that's the trade-off is you start to work in silos if you don't do some version of continuous delivery. And I think it's it's an unfair mischaracterization to say delivered the next minute. None of us thinks that. Um, but maybe we could just talk about same day deliveries more broadly. Um, I mean, I would love like hourly sure, deployments, yeah. right? Like sure. that's, that's great, but it, it doesn't work everywhere. And I acknowledge that. Right. right. And there are other people besides developers who have to touch the thing sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's going to be it for us today, guys. Uh, you can follow us at clear function on Twitter, hashtag it depends. And uh, we'll see you next time. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Thanks, guys. And you deploy that stuff to production.